welcome to the Mandatory Wellness Session. I'm your host, Anoop. And I'm your other host, Samir. I see we've dropped the pretense of being instructors. <laughs> we, we dropped it last week, and you called attention to it then, and then you did it again now. I'd say week, it's been like 80 years, but still. Right, right, it's been a while. It, that, I mean, this last week has been a long week. Yeah. <laughs> these last few weeks. Yeah. One, one could argue these last few months. Yeah, yeah. It, it's actually, it's true, though. I, I, I think I know what you're going to say, which is that the months have been very strange. Yeah, it just keeps going. Like, yeah, cause I, I feel like March was like super slow. Like, it was March 9th, and then it was like four years later, and then it was like March 14th, and it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was suddenly April, and then April took a while, and then May was just done. And I was like, wait, what, what happened to May? So, I, I don't know. Very unclear. Very unclear what happened. Yeah, I've definitely been losing time. That's for sure. Like, there's just large gaps of time where I'm like, I don't even know what I was doing for that period of time. I know I must, I, I went to work. I've logged hours. So I know I was alive. Well, it's, it's good of you to log hours. I could be better about that. Yeah. Well, they sent me a lot of emails. <laughs> I just had my mid-year review, or no, uh, my, um, my interview review with my program director, who she's a delight. So beforehand though, I was like, I was on vacation actually leading up to it. And, um, I, I spent swaths of time both logging my cases for the last year and logging hours, which I freely admitted to her. And I was like, and I was like, I've learned a very important lesson about logging cases on time. She's like, good. Glad you have. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it took a year. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I mean, so we have to log cases as well, which is literally like how many hundreds of chest x-rays have you read? Uh, it's a so lot. I'm curious. Yeah. How do you, cause for us, even, logging cases can be kind of annoying because you might do, like, four or five, like, endoscopic cases in a day, and certainly those can build up over time. But for you guys, I, I don't even understand. It would be, like, it would be like 100 in a week. Yeah, yeah. It's 1,900 in a residency for chest x-rays is how much you're supposed to read. Uh, it's actually a pretty low number. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm, like, thinking about it, and you could easily hit that in, like, half a year. You could easily hit that in half a year. Those numbers, it's more about like day to day. The software tracks it to some extent. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's really nice. But it doesn't track everything. Like I'm on mammography right now. It doesn't track mammos. It doesn't track our ultrasounds. So I kind of just, the the nice thing about it not tracking it is I also know no one else can know how much I did. So I just need to know like roughly within right. like five. I'm just like, oh, I did like 20. I did 30 today. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, it fundamentally doesn't matter because yeah. you're going to be so far over your minimums that exactly. Right. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't matter if you're a hundred over them or 125 over them. Really? Like it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. It's interesting. I think you would have to be reading very little. To be at, like, I, I wonder what your days would consist of if you truly read that little. Right. To be crazy. just get to your minimum. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the minimums to me, I think, I, I guess the only way I can interpret them is that they're looking at everything and they're saying there were no, there would be nobody who was minimum for all of these things because that person would be terrible at radiology. Sure. But there might be someone who in general has way exceeded them, but in this one specific category because it's a weakness of their program they would only hit a, this minimum number for this really specific modality. And right. when you look at all the programs, maybe there are a bunch of them that, you know, will have one category that's low. And if you look at all the programs, therefore you made all the categories low. Right. Because if there's actually someone who was that low in every category, I mean, they wouldn't fucking know anything. Yeah. Right. I mean, it has to be, and I know the same thing with like urology, for example, too. I mean, if you look at like the minimums, like once again, if you if you were a minimum for all those things, I mean, you I don't think you'd be very well trained at all. Yeah, radiology rotations are a particular grind in a way. It's not that it's tedious, but it's just like you literally sit and do a certain type of thing all day, every day for multiple days in a row, and then you switch to something else, right? Like when you're actual attending, usually you rotate through services on a daily basis or maybe a weekly basis, depending on your program. Sure. So you do something different each day. But as a resident, you're just like mammography for an entire month. And it luck actually, MAMO is one of the examples where it's not exactly like that because you get to do procedures during the day. So you'll do biopsies and stuff. And sure. kind of break up like the, the yeah. pattern and everything. Mm -hmm. But... Sometimes it's just like show up, read, leave, show up, read, leave, right? 
Yeah. Now that I'm doing call, things have changed a little bit because sure. that obviously breaks up the pattern quite a bit. So I, I'm curious. So I think one thing I wonder about when it's something like reading and, and what I'm comparing it to is the idea of when we were in medical school and you'd be doing, let's say, like U-World questions, right? And the idea of like, should you do them in a certain topic or should you do sort of a mixed bunch? And my thought was always do them in a mixed bunch because if you do them in a certain topic, it sort of trains you to be in a certain mindset when you're doing them. Mm-hmm. Which like maybe artificially inflating how well you're doing on them, right? Because sure. if you know it's a cardiology question, it changes how you approach it, right? Right, right. Whereas uh, if you don't know the category, you're not using that like heuristics. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, obviously different. Do you think there is a benefit to reading a variety of scans because it forces you to sort of be a little more like nimble with your mind, kind of to like switch how you're like your like switch your lens basically sure sure i mean switching between modalities switching between studies has its value what i'll say at least to our program is our call days are such a mixed bag of studies that i don't need i don't think you need to spend extra time during the day practicing your mental gymnastics sure okay sure like you're gonna read all that stuff when you're on call anyways so don't worry about it during the day in terms of like actually absorbing the information, it is good to do a variety because you could easily go a whole month and be like, oh, I guess I didn't read this particular type of study, right? Yeah. But then it's also good, particularly for rare studies, to spend time specifically doing those. Right. So to say, you know, today I'm just going to read MR interrographies, which you maybe don't have a ton of. Sure. You could just grind at that because if you just read one in a week... And then you read one next week, you're not going to know shit. I think that is the obvious flip side, right? I mean, attendings will always say it. They're like, I like to do two or three of the same case with a resident like in a row. Right. Because you can just like tell the difference, right? You do all this like learning and improving that first case. And if you don't do the next case till the next week, you basically like you don't, you don't get a chance to solidify your learning basically, right? Yeah. And I've noticed it too, right? Like let's say I'm like bedsiding a prostatectomy. The second one is like, I'm like better at it. Right. Like I, I like know, I mean, you know, the steps out of time because you read, but like you don't know them the same way as like, oh, I did this like an hour ago. Sure. Right. Sure. So um, I think this. Yeah. For that, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I mean, you want to be I, I basically I think my question is where if it, where that balance is for radiology, whether it's difficult to say. Yeah. And it's different for everybody. Right. Because if you have fellows in your program, then you just won't read those studies anyways so it won't be an issue right essentially that's what fellowship is for it's just like okay now your responsibility is only those studies so read those and get good at them right fellowship i.e get good get good yes (laughs) that's the fucking tagline (laughs) that's that was and then it was co-opted by the layman for (laughs) other reasons (laughs) pedantic reasons (laughs) or or the opposite of pedantic uh language anyways (laughs) I was going to comment, I was like, I feel like pedantic's not the right word, no, but no, I don't know what it is. the exact opposite of I don't know what it is. We're being pedantic. Right. And, anyway. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it really depends on where you are, but essentially in, in the week-to-week basis, there is value to specializing in things, so much so that you see enough of them to actually learn something. Right. But on a macro scale, it's good to do a variety of stuff because for radiology a fellowship is pretty much mandatory so you're gonna have time to specialize in the thing you want to specialize in anyways for example like if i got really good at mr prostates then i got neuro trained even though i will probably do body coverage throughout my career because every radiologist reads general rads to some extent there's a good chance that they're not going to ask the neuro guy, even when he's on body, to take a look at an MR prostate. Although I will say the the prostate is the cerebellum of the pelvis. Everyone says that. Everyone says that. Everyone says Everyone. it. Everyone. Again, you know, oddly enough, that's a phrase that we adopted from the blade. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. That was a non-medical sort of turn of phrase. And then, yeah. 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 We're like, oh, wait, this actually applies pretty well? <laughs> Works perfectly. Yeah. Perfectly. Yeah, exactly. If there's something wrong with your prostate, you're going to be walking funny as well. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. That's what they mean. Right. You're a little, you're a little off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Got man. a wide gate as yeah. well. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so otherwise, outside of residency stuff, what have you been up to since we last uh, recorded? Oh, man, nothing. Yeah, because I, I think we talked about it a lot last time. I started call, so right. that eats up a lot of time. So call day is like 16 hours, 16, 17 mm. hours of just reading. I've been using a way more eye drops. Essentially, like, the day, the normal day, I'm, like, fine. The second I hit call, my eyes are just, like, bone dry. <laughs> I'm, like, just pounded through drops of, uh, drops of refresh. Just pounded. Just free. Pounded okay. through drops. Pounded through drops, yeah. So that's been eating up a good amount of time. Uh, trying to study mammography in my free time. Uh, you know, mammography is a very specific type of radiology that obviously you don't see when you're on any other rotation. So you kind of have to dedicate a particular mental block to it, if you will. Uh, also trying to study for IR because my next block is IR. And that's also one where you just don't see a ton of it when you're on other rotations. So to summarize, what you've been doing outside of residency is residency. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Much. Perfect. Great. Excellent. Cool, cool, All cool, right. Cool, yeah. Uh, and then watching a bunch of like, real play D D stuff you good know, the usual standard okay great if Perfect. you've ever heard of dimension 20 it's college humor's like D D show and it's very funny great perfect yeah. nice yeah how about you um so i i mentioned i was just on vacation recently uh so i drew i, I did this at the end of march as well when i was on vacation then i still want to kind of avoid flying if i can at this point um, and visiting my parents for this reason that they're, you know, healthy, but they're like around 60. And so probably good to avoid unnecessary exposure to people in the healthcare field, i.e. me, if possible. And so I drove up to where my um, sister uh, and her husband live, uh, which is about, you know, uh, six to seven hours away from where I am. Not a, not a terrible drive. But to your point about eyes being tired, I realized that when I, when I got there, I was like, wow, man, my, my eyes are just like... They're just like exhausted. Like just like looking at like a screen or anything like that. I just was really kind of hurting. And then I was like, oh, right. Because I was just like driving in like the middle of the day for seven hours. And like you don't blink that much when you're driving. <laughs> no. Right. Like, I, I, right. Yeah, right, exactly. And so I, which I hadn't really thought about, but like I obviously wasn't blinking that much. So my eyes were like, oh, my God. Like, fuck, it's so hard to. And then, and then I, when I went to sleep, I woke up the next morning. I was like, my goodness. That's what it's like to have eyes again. Great. It's amazing. <laughs> eyes are great. My eyes are back. Yeah. The eyes are back. We're back in town. The boys are back in town. It was originally the eyes are back in town, but they but they changed it to be more applicable to more people. Yeah, that was a song about a long haul trucker. Actually. <laughs> the eyes are back in town. <laughs> down, down. <laughs> so pretty good. Obviously, other things have been going on in the world, which we kind of discussed as well. With our week being a very long, not really our week, the week. The, the weeks week, the world's week yeah um obviously COVID is still a thing spoiler that that hasn't gone away um case numbers are steadily rising as much as people would like to pretend yeah right as much as everyone's like yeah i'm pretty sure it's gone i'm like mm, no um so the case numbers are steadily rising where i am they're like pretty much every day we're like oh there are more okay all right so that's concerning uh, at a baseline unemployment's still like super high we still have a leadership vacuum which is fun um <laughs> How diplomatic. Right, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, a thing which has existed for literally centuries, but of course is brought to the forefront by recent events, just like the terrible treatment of black Americans in this country, and particularly police brutality. So that's been that's been in the news as well, obviously, with many protests uh, happening, some of which have turned violent. So, yeah, been a bit of a stressful week, I think, for everyone, and I think particularly for within medicine our black colleagues but i think in general for black americans i think is obviously a little more you know they're they're facing the brunt of it so i think that has of course influenced a lot of what's going on in the world yes yes it's interesting when something like this happens it's not really as though a specific thing happened yeah you you could talk about the death of george floyd and you could say like this is a tragic thing that sparked this but fundamentally, the death of George Floyd was just another in a long line yeah. of many, many unnecessary deaths. And we don't have a good political language for the things that have been simmering for a while and just went to a rolling boil and boiled over, right? And that's what this is. It's been sitting on the stove, simmering for quite some time, and then just now it boiled over. Right. And certainly part of that is because of everybody being stuck at home during covid like nobody is in a good place to cope with these things and 
on top of that, you have years of every peaceful attempt at protest being shut down. I mean, you know, Colin Kaepernick keeps coming up during right. This time. Yeah, everyone's talking yeah. right. I mean, like, it, I I think what is it? I think to your point about you know, I I see discussed a lot, right? Because it's like you see these horrifying videos, right? George Floyd was, of course, the most um, obviously sort of as you mentioned, like, sort of like the the the, the final straw. But then there was Ahmad Arbery recently in Georgia, basically, I mean, just lynched more or less by two. Uh, I believe at least one of them was an ex-police officer, but 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 I think a father and son. And then I think there's a third guy who was basically, he's the one who took the video and was basically involved with it. There's Breonna Taylor recently, who was the victim of being the wrong house of a no-knock raid. And they shot her while she was in bed. Um, yeah. The actual culprit already in custody. Already in custody. Also, uh, insult to injury. Um, her boyfriend very, or maybe fiance very reasonably was like, "Oh, there's an intruder breaking into my house. I should shoot them." Um, because, as many white Americans have pointed out, there's a right to bear arms in this country and defend yourself. He was arrested. Although I will note, he was later. The charges were later dropped, but he was arrested and put in jail. Um, they were later dropped, but not in a period of time in which they should. It, it took a while. Oh, yeah, 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 I did. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, the next day they were like, oh, yeah, this is no. Yeah. And of course, no, no. right. So there's that. Um, there's probably another recent one that I might be missing. Obviously, there are literally hundreds, thousands of examples of this throughout the years, um, many of which are more notable now because the ability to video things like instantaneously is only been more recently available. Right. It, it is a thing that's been happening, as you said, forever, kind of. Right. Uh, as long as there have been separate races, there has been an artificial thing that causes one group to hate another group, right? And now we just have the technology where it's like every time it happens, you can see it, right? right? And people can get their stories out there. And now you're hearing, I mean, I'm sure I could have heard these stories had I sought them out before. Right. It just happens to be that they're very publicized right now. So you hear some real, real horror stories. I think the trio that you just mentioned, well, the other two, so George Floyd, Ahmaud Avery, and Breonna Taylor are like the, the big three right now. But yeah, there's, there's so many stories right there. And I think, I think you actually made a really good point in talking about it, which is that it is distinctly our privilege, right, not being black, that we are able to just not ignore, I feel like ignore is not the right word, but just not really think about it actively. Right. Like in my day to day, I I think about a lot of things that I'm nervous about and things I want to avoid or whatever. But it, things like just driving at night is not one of those things I'm like intrinsically concerned about. Um, I can't say I'm like extraordinarily comfortable around the police as a minority, but I don't sure. I don't have the same like genuine fear for my life that I think many black people very reasonably have. And so, yeah, I I, I don't have to think about it all the time and so i don't and i think that in in and of itself is is somewhat what this is about right because black people do have to think about it all the time because they can't take off their skin and be like oh i'm not black anymore right that's not right that, that, that's just their life right and so i think to your point right that these are the stories I, I have many friends who have posted on facebook or or whatever and just been like here are the things that have happened to me specifically i am one black person who has lived like 28 years and these are the things that have happened in my life in the modern times of like 90s to now and these are all the things that have happened to me that happen all the time constantly right and, I'm, and they're not even listing these small microaggressions all these things that happen all the time they're listing like more notable events and it's still this laundry list and that's for like everybody it's literally everyone i know like everyone i know who's black has a list like that i can maybe count on one hand the number of times I have been discriminated against because of my race. And they're pretty much... It's not... Are they all related to, like, 9-11? Because that's what it is for me, basically. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely an uptick back then. And maybe I missed some back then. I was pretty young, mm -hmm. right? So maybe I didn't notice. But other than that, it's all been, like, drive-by people sure. yelling things that they shouldn't yell. You know, right. little things like that where it's, like... It's it's nothing, right? It's like, like it's like terrorist curry related something or other. What I would call like, I mean, bad, just shitty. Yeah. You're like a bad person, but like not things that have deeply systemic, systematically like oppressed me. 
right? right just right. like shitty personal racism that sucks um yeah. it's like interpersonal racism if you will is not the end of the world like it's, it's re- still bad it's really it's really bad like i want to be clear it's yeah. really bad and i think it's something we'll probably discuss more in this episode but it is not the kind of thing that has these sort of broad generational effects that like like shape the way society works kind of yes yes exactly and there is not such a quantifiable mortality to somebody saying a racial slur at me you know on the street like that yes i it's it's a it's a totally different category of thing i think the thing that particularly um, South Asians have to deal with is sort of our role as a as a model minority, quote unquote. Sure. And I've heard a lot of people talking about that. One sort of darkly humorous thing you can look up is a it's a list of social media posts from brown actors supporting Black Lives Matter. And next to it, it's their ads for skin lightning. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's so bad. It's so, so bad. It's not great. And admittedly, I bet all of them thought, like, I'll make this ad. Surely all of those ads run in, like, India. And no one will ever see this in the States where I make my career. So no big deal, right? It's like, well, the internet exists, so now we yeah. can all see that. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's really bad. And things like that, are they as bad as, like, you know, killing somebody in the street? No, of course not. But those are the little things that enforce the mentality over a course of time, right? right? It's like an ad for skin lightening cream. It's like, well, you don't have to use that and you're allowed to appreciate your skin tone, but it puts an idea in people's head. Right. And then ideas over the course of time, they feed on themselves. Right. Yeah, that's no, true. And I, there's been a lot I've been reading as well, basically about, I think we can, I think we can probably speak to this a little more personally within the South Asian community views toward black people. And I, I think there's a great video of um, Hassan Minhaj, a comedian I think we've talked about before on this podcast. And he is doing a lot of, um, they say like exclusively like uh, digital content right now, particularly in the, in the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and he had an entire thing, it's like a 12, 13 minute video of talking about this and, and the role of the South Asian community in it basically, and how we propagate a lot of these things, both due to that basically anti-black racism within our community and basically our indifference and not really speaking up because it doesn't feel like our fight. And both are shitty. And you know, one, one specific point he makes is that the civil rights movement was really important in getting like, I can't remember the exact name, but basically this important immigration act in 1965 passed through which a lot of basically brown immigrants came over. I mean, before that, there were like quotas that they basically would not have been able to get passed and then a lot of people wouldn't have made it over. And, and basically talking that even if you don't feel like it's your fight, it actually is when you really consider the history. And even if you don't feel like it is directly, it, it kind of is our still our responsibility to be a part of it uh, and to not ignore it because we can, right? And so, yeah, you know, funnily enough, going back to how we mentioned 9-11 earlier, of course, I think the thing that that taught me as a kid, it didn't resonate until later, but get ready for a controversial statement. Racists are very stupid, and they, they don't know the difference between cultural groups, right? They didn't know that I was a Hindu Indian. Like, they didn't know right. when they were being racist to me. They just saw the skin tone, and they made a judgment, right? Like, they're not a group known for their nuanced assessment of people. And that's a very shallow way of looking at it. If you just need, If that's the justification you need... You can even just stop there and say, like, they won't tell the difference between you and them. Now, the other thing is, like, they don't stop. If if you have one group you hate, it's very easy to just start hating another group. And it's very easy to just hate everybody who's not yourself. These are not... Right. They're not good people. At the end of the day, they're just not. There's not good people on both sides. There are racists and everybody else who has a moral core that's that's as far and and you could talk about education you could talk about the family that you grow up when did you not know any better people should have a chance to get better i'll give you that they should always have the chance to get better but the second your learning process involves a loss of life it's the second we don't have time for your learning process i think it's important to mention as well that within racist systems you cannot be actively personally racist but if you are not 
intentionally like being not racist, then you will inevitably propagate that structural racism, right? Like it, it, it is not so simple as being like, oh, well, I don't hate black people. Like you have to like be aware of the things that you do by just existing within the system to propagate that shittiness forward. Right. Right. And and I think that that I think is is a part of the challenge. I think part of the reason that a lot of these conversations do get cut short because there's an immediate reaction of, well, I'm not a racist. And that and that honestly is not enough. And I think I'm saying that in not to say that I am like some golden boy here actively, you know, being aware of all these discrepancies and disparities and making a lot of action and doing and, and doing a lot of things to fix them. Right. I, I definitely right. am not. But I think one thing I think I have been aware of and I think I'm trying to be more aware of with everything that is currently happening is that I, I should be thinking about it like all the time. Right. Like you have to be thinking about it because if you're not, then you are liable to just let these sort of things continue. Yes, yes. There comes a point in time where silence is just a tacit endorsement. Right. You know, if you don't say something, you have allowed that thing to continue. Right. And obviously there will always be reasons not to speak up. Almost inevitably. Yeah. I think we're in sort of that perfect population, right? As residents, there's always a good reason not to speak up. You never know the beliefs of the people who are your superiors. Right. In this case, I think I do know most of them are <laughs> on the right side of history, as it were. But there are times where the, the discussion is more controversial than what's going on right now. And, and sometimes it'll feel as though you shouldn't express right. your beliefs. And hell, in, in other situations, that might be the case. You Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should put your head down and get your work done, right? But I don't think this is one of those situations where you can let things go by. Not when your voice matters. I mean, your voice always matters. But in this particular situation, I think it matters even more. Which I think actually, I mean, obviously we've been kind of discussing this for a while here. But like, I think this dovetails very well. We've been doing this sort of four-part series about the four principles of medical ethics and how they apply to wellness and, and basically to our lives as residents. And I think... You know, we, we, at this point, we've done autonomy, we've done beneficence, um, and I think initially we were planning to do non-maleficence or, or uh, uh, non-malfeasance. Um, but I think, I think our discussion of justice here is is apt, right? Yes. And and yes. what justice means within medicine more broadly, and what it means for us as residents and for wellness within a resident residency cohort, right? And so I, I think I'll just broadly say, right, in the healthcare system, there are like tremendous racial and ethnic disparities in terms of both care received and outcomes in various, you know, in, in various dimensions, right? And a lot of them have improved over time, but several of these gulfs and gaps have actually gotten worse, right? Um, an example that's discussed a lot is infant mortality, much higher for babies born to black mothers than for babies born to white mothers. I think the last data I saw was 11, in, uh, 11 deaths per 1,000 live births compared to 4.9 deaths per 1,000 live births, which is staggering. It's a staggering difference. And those differences, when you control for economic factors, remain. Like, they don't go away at all. Um, and to the point where it's actually, it's kind of insane. Black mothers who have graduate degrees have a higher infant mortality rate than white mothers who have an eighth grade education or less. Right. And so those things are just persistent throughout the healthcare system. And there are obviously multifactorial reasons for them. Um, one of them is us as healthcare providers not taking complaints of pain or concern, or patient concerns as seriously when we hear them from black patients. There are a lot of studies that show this. Pain is one that comes up a lot. There are like many, many studies that show black people's uh, pain is undertreated by doctors despite similar reporting. So it's not as if they're underreporting for some reason. Like they're, they're reporting it and we're just undertreating it. And sometimes the, there's one study, I think, in particular that was, that was quoted a lot when it first came out a few years ago, talking about basically false medical beliefs by medical students and by residents about physiologic differences between black people and white people. The one that people ever talked about was that there was a pretty high proportion that thought that black people had like literally thicker skin, which is fucking insane. The, I, was, I was looking at the study specifically because I was like, I've read the headlines. Let me actually read the study. Maybe it's not as bad. And there are, I think, some things there that it's like they mixed. They had a bunch of different statements. And some of them were actually true, like that black people have like denser bones on average, which is like 
true because that's all that's, that's why like old white women have like the highest incidence of osteoporosis like that is true but then they have things that like are just like insane you're like what how would you possibly think this is true and, and like yeah like 20 to 40 percent of med students and like 25 percent of the residents they asked basically said how black people had like thicker skin it's like it's actually fucking insane <laughs> like genuinely crazy interesting yeah it's fucking crazy and that's to say nothing of just the insane shit that like the actively malicious racist shit that happened in like the history of like scientific research right everyone talks about like the tuskegee syphilis experiment is a classic example of just like horrifying shit that we've done as a field the tuskegee experiment is one of those cases where like nine times out of ten when you hear a conspiracy theory you're like you're full of shit but the tuskegee experiment is a real life conspiracy theory that actually happened and like it's it's boggling to me it's bogglingly evil because it had no purpose Oh no, no, it's like it's it's fucking bad. Like so so I, I assume people who are listening to this podcast probably know what this is, but I'll briefly summarize. Basically, they started this um uh this experiment basically where they had um all these black men who had syphilis and this was started in like the 1930s and at that point um penicillin wasn't sort of the de facto treatment for syphilis. It was genuinely like not like penicillin had just been discovered like a few years earlier. And then at some point in like 1940ish penicillin was like the thing to do everyone's like oh this is crazy it's a fucking wonder drug like this cure syphilis and they just didn't tell any of them and just continued to just keep observing them and told them shit like oh you have like bad blood and all this like they just like didn't tell them for like 25 to 30 years and uh then let them just get the i mean syphilis is one of those diseases where like if you catch it and you cure it it's so fucking nothing happens to you it's crazy and if you don't it's like horrifying uh, the manifestations of it and they just let it happen uh, to hundreds, hundreds of people. Um, let them infect their partners. Let them have children with congenital syphilis. And they did nothing. And and it's like it's genu- It's like it is so absurdly horrifying that it's like, and beyond what it did to those people, the effect it has on like the mistrust of the healthcare system, like to this day, is still felt. Once again, like a generational impact by that evil act. And to your point, right? It's because there were people who just let it happen, right? The number of people it takes to run a study is so many, and they just all let it happen. Yeah, it's interesting because we know bad things happen. We know people can do evil things, right? And I think in America, you learn about it classically sort of with World War II and the Nazis, right? They're the prototypical evil person, right? And one of the main failings of the American educational system is that until you get to a higher level of education, I don't think they teach you about the shit that we did. Yeah, they don't. You know, it's so oriented towards painting us as this sort of universal good guy, which I, I, you know, I understand from a sort of societal basis that you want to make people believe that you're good. You want to have people believe in these American ideals, right? right? But like, sure, the Nazis had concentration camps, so did we. Yeah, we did that to Japanese people. Yeah. The Nazis experimented on Jewish people. We did it to black people. Like, and, I, I'm saying we in sort of the, the right. grand sense. And then I, I always took some amount of solace and like, oh, I, I just got here. Right, right. But, no, but, no, but it's, it's true. And I think that's something that is talked about a lot. I, and I, I've been reading these various like Twitter threads about it and all this stuff. And these very, these people who are like historians and they're like, by the way, things you definitely didn't learn about in um, high school. And it's just like awful things. These are crazy things that happened. I consider myself like a reasonably aware person. And many of them I had literally never heard of. It's just, it, it just crazy. And the roots of our racist history are, are insane. And I, I think that is also really important to remember that it, it didn't end with the Emancipation Proclamation. It didn't end with the Civil Rights Act. And it's, it's, it's this continuous thread that it continues to this day. And so I think, once again, I, I, I'm not saying anything new or novel or non-obvious, right? But I think it's just very much, I think what I've been trying to do a lot in this past week or two is just kind of remind myself of it again and again, trying to force myself just to consume, just to uh, consume this information, just to be like, to get a little more internal awareness, right? Not this sort of like, yeah, yeah I'm aware, but like, no, like, do I really get it? Um, and, I, and I never really will. Right, because it's it's not going to be lived in, but the hope is to try to get it a little more. I think to that point is, I guess, our discussion about how when you take all this stuff, right, everything going on, and you take the idea of justice and how that applies 
to wellness within a residency cohort? And I, I know it's a very broad and kind of a very heavy question. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on it. So the concept of justice during residency is a very interesting one. I'm, I'm thinking about, as we're, as we're looking at it, one of the articles we read for this week that was looking at surgical residents and mm. their experience of racism, sexism, burnout during residency, right? And it is not surprising to hear that a large proportion of surgical residents experienced some sort of racial or gender discrimination during their residency. And I think classically we think of the idea of somebody in power being the one doing the discriminating, but as this study pointed out, a vast majority of it came from their patients, you know? And these are people you just can't control, right? You can't control if your patients are going to be racist or sexist to your residents, right? And so as a residency program, how do you cope with that? Well, one, there's the obvious thing. Like if you have somebody in your leadership positions whom is being reported for being racist, sexist, XYZ, whatever it might be, those claims need to be taken seriously because you can't operate from a place of justice if one of your operators is not playing justly, right? They will compromise the justice of your entire program. Yeah. And <laughs> you know? once again, I, I, this is like, I think this is the ultimate, like, sounds pretty obvious. And yet, and yet. And yet, and yet nothing. I, you know what? I think the, the lesson I've learned most of all in 2020, it's oddly enough a lesson I felt like I knew in college. Maybe when I was studying these things, I took a lot of ethics classes in college. Hmm. So when I was studying these things more regularly, I was a more jaded person and I've allowed myself to forget. And <laughs> the thing that I've learned in 2020 is never fucking forget. You know? <laughs> like, Wait, so this, this is you not cynical. Fascinating. Fascinating, yes. Oddly enough, you you reached me at sort of a low point in my cynicism and it's back on the upswing because the the thing is everything that sounds easy is vastly harder than it is. Yeah. That it sounds, right? And justice is one of those things that is the hard it's the hardest of the four, for sure. You know? Autonomy, let people be free. Beneficence be nice. Non malfeasance, don't be mean, right? You could boil them down. Justice be equitable it's a great it's like a it's it's what you strive for but like putting into practice is like because equity is one of those things that is not just one thing it is not actually the equal allocation of resources right which is the definition if you look up the definition of justice it's how to allocate scarce resources right i think in residency the classic scarce resource has to be like vacation time right it's like time off how, sure. how do you allocate that uh, I think the classic case example for that that affects is, of course, pregnancy and maternity leave, right? right? It's going to vastly affect people's vacation schedule. And is it fair to your other residents if you as a person take paternity or maternity leave? Is that justice? But at the same time, is it injustice to deny somebody their fundamental access to part of humanity, which is reproducing, having a family, yeah. all this stuff, right? <laughs> So you can say on one hand, it is clearly unjust. The program cannot punish you for wanting to have a family. However, in not punishing you for that, they will punish everybody else in the program. Unless, unless as, we, as we kind of discussed last time, unless you actively try to make plans for that, right? Like you right. as a program spend resources to not have that happen. Right. So I guess rule number one, right? Justice costs money. Yeah. Justice costs money, justice costs time. And and it costs like capital, right? Like it costs like social capital to do it, right? If you have an attending who is really well established and they are racist and they are consistently doing shitty things like that, what it takes to get that person either removed or not working with residents is probably a lot actually. And how many of those how many bullets do you have in your chamber, right? Like how many times can you get rid of the racist person before you don't have the social capital to keep doing it, right? And how do you right. allocate your social capital as someone in power to do that, right? Once again, it's, it, is, it sounds really easy to say, but I do like I, I think it is important to note that when you start adding these complex political structures, it is not that easy, even though it should be. It feels like it should be. Well, we want it to be, right? That's the narrative we're fed in all of our media, right? 
every problem can be solved within, you know, a two hour period, right? So every, everything, every social injustice can be solved in a two hour period. Even if the movie takes place over the course of 20 years, in the mind, it takes place over the course of two hours, right? But with residency, it'll never be that simple, right? It's more about really assessing where everybody stands when they first come in. Because the resident you get, the intern you get, they're already not on an equal playing field, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's day one. So you can't just slot them in. You can't just pretend like, okay, all, all 15 of you show up and all of you just slot into the 15 slots and yeah. you just act like the 15 people before you. It's like, no, they're 15 entirely different people, right? And, and the second you try to be diverse, you make that problem even greater. Like... It's funny to talk about diversity as a problem, but from a justice standpoint, diversity means that you have to be more flexible. You can't just look at everybody as a monolith, right? Just because they're all medical, surgical, whatever residents, they're all different people and they're all going to come at it differently, right? Uh, So you as a administrator or whatever that might be have to be ready for that. You have to adjust to that. And going back to what we just said, being flexible costs time money and social capital right i think there's also the practicality aspect from a reporting standpoint right so you can have anonymous reporting but if you're the only black resident and you report that an attending said some racist shit i feel like it's relatively obvious who they said the racist shit to right right so it's easy to say like oh yeah you should report it but sometimes it can just be traced back to you because of like obvious demographic things. Like you can just like tell who said it, right? And, and so that is also like a thing as well, right? The idea of like as someone who is in this position where we are don't really have power, right? Where we are beholden to a lot of different things sort of above us and beyond us. It makes it really difficult for us to call out these things, particularly for ourselves, but really for anyone to an extent, Right. And I think the example of something like patients, I think, I, although shitty and I think like just like bad, it, it feels easier to at least maybe do something about that. It feels reportable in some way. Sure. Because they're not one of you. They're external. Yeah. They're like like there's an ability to do it and no one's going to kind of like no one's going to back up the racist patient. <laughs> right. No one's They're They're all going to be like, oh, that sounds terrible. Would you like to cover somebody else? Or they'll, they'll, they'll be flexible or they'll commiserate at the very least. And you'll all move on together, right? Nobody's going to be like, well, maybe he's got a point, though. <laughs> no. It's like nobody's going to side with the racist when they have no power over Yes, you, right? yes, right? And so I think it's like, how do you... How do you make that better from a systemic point when it's people who do have that power, right? And... It, it feels like there should be almost some sort of review process, right? Like, I feel like that's like, like some, well, is this person racist? <laughs> but it's obviously not that simple. That's like a kind of an insane thing to say or do or ask. But like, right, fundamentally, how do you, how do you basically hold people to a certain standard consistently in a, in a fair way such that they are responsible very distinctly for their actions and for their behaviors? in a way that protects residents and allows for justice, allows for equity, right? Because I think it's something we've discussed before in this podcast, right? And we're discussing right now, like being a black resident, being a female resident, or like the fucking combo, the black female resident, or throwing something like being like um, LGBTQ, right? On top of that, throw all these things in and their person is going to just have a worse time, right? Residency is already hard and have to deal with everything else, right? And so like, how do you make that environment more equitable and more just for those people who are already like or, or, or like have everything in residency and then they have everything else on top part of it is to say residency can't save you from everything you're that's going on in your life right they can't help everything that's going on outside of the hospital however to be successful they have to be sensitive to that right they have to know because you can't just ignore everything that's going on outside of the hospital. The line's somewhere in the middle there. You know, obviously there's always going to be some autonomy, some 
self-determination. You have to take your own wellness in your own hands, of course, of course. But as much as a residency can control for it, they should. And if it's creating independent review boards, I mean, that's definitely part of it, of course. Making feedback anonymous obviously helps, but like you said, not, not a perfect system, but probably as close as we can get. Right. It's just being anonymous, being impartial, and being fair. Because even though you have a stake in Dr. XYZ attending not being racist, it doesn't mean that they aren't, right? It's like, I, you know, I have stake in my family not being racist, but doesn't mean that they are the most conscientious people all the time, right? We have to, as a society, but as a medical society as well, dispel ourselves of the notion that we can be fully socially aware and and morally upright and not lose money or time for it you know there is a cost to being an ethical system and if it means taking down people in positions of power who shouldn't have that power that's the cost of it you have to do that because the alternative is fundamentally not ethical it's fundamentally unethical so things you can do right when people do shitty things and there is a pattern of them doing shitty things they should face consequences once again things that sound obvious but in fact are not as easy as they sound and often do not happen so when someone is really like just fundamentally they're racist they're so racist there's a racist attending they should face consequences they should be at minimum not working with residents, but really probably should be fired. Just baseline, true. When patients are racist, they should be informed that they don't just get to be racist. Like they need to fucking stop or like we won't treat them. I know that's like not a great thing to say. It's like, oh, this person or whatever. And obviously if people are like demented, totally. I'm saying a person is otherwise of sound mind. They're being racist. I think pretty reasonable to be like, you need to stop or you can leave this hospital. Clearly, there are things like Amtala, someone, it's like, a, obviously, I'm saying like a general, like they're coming in for like an elective case. Fuck you. Like, no, you don't get to get surgery here. You're a racist. Like, leave. Yeah. That's a thing. That's a thing you can do. Like, as long as there's no, like, this person's about to die situation where that's a whole, like, obviously, you need to, like, treat them kind of thing. I, they, that person doesn't need to get their elective surgery here. I mean, I know you want them to so you can get their money, but no, you can just make them leave the hospital refuse to treat them You're, there's no obligation to do elective surgeries on people who you don't want to do them on but again things that don't happen because it's i mean there's no incentive right i mean the incentive for the hospitals to generate the revenue but maybe we should incentivize them to not you know, you know like, again, these are really specific kind of examples but it's a broader thing right a broader thing to do where you you change your in- incentives in your system to prioritize being more ethical if we take a step back from just not doing the procedure, even just pushing back, even if you're resident, if you're an attending and your resident comes to you and says, hey, this guy just said some really shitty shit to me about my race or my gender or whatever, to as an attending go back and say to a patient, whom you don't have to do this, right? It's not in your job description, but say like, that behavior will not be tolerated and you need to, to adjust yourself. like." this is not an acceptable actionable course right so keep it quiet if you want to continue to receive care here yeah those things like just at the very least having somebody's back beyond just saying wow that sucks because yeah of course it sucks everybody knows it sucks but i mean like i mean how great would that be though right if if the if an attending went out of their way to be like just to tell off a patient for doing that I mean, how I mean, how amazingly supportive would you? I mean, obviously, it's still shitty. You still have to deal with the racism, but like, yeah, you're a minority. You're dealing with the racism anyway. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not as if the racism is going to go away. But now, someone yeah. has your fucking back. Your superior is yeah. like, no, fuck that shit. I mean, that yeah, that's something. You do that. That is that is fundamentally what people are saying. On a more day to day scale, right? Obviously, now we're in a time where people are protesting. And so your voice matters. But it, it's not just because we're protesting that your voice matters. Like once the protests are or, over, your voice will still matter. Your voice matters on a day-to-day basis. 
You know, you're, yes, commiserating is great. Yes, saying, hey, that sucks. Hey, do you want to switch patients? That's all great. But actually standing up for somebody who's having an issue when it's not your problem, right? It's not my problem if my co-resident, somebody's being racist to them, admittedly. But I still can do something about it. I can still say something about it. And I'm going to say as a second point to this, actually, because I think it is very easy to fall into this trap of, like, this very clear, like, racial insult. Like, I'm going to stand up. But there are the other things that happen that are not the obvious, like, I literally, like, called you a racial epithet kind of thing. It's like, uh, I keep calling you a nurse because you're a woman, even though you've introduced yourself as doctor to me like multiple fucking times or like for some of our black colleagues, like I keep thinking you're the housekeeping service, even though once again, you introduce yourself as a doctor multiple times, right? Like things that happen. And like, it is, it, I feel like the, the easy response is to sort of like later kind of like uncomfortably laugh about it kind of and be like man that person's like a jackass or like kind of like like not really like laugh about it but you're trying to be like i support you but like you don't want to make a big confrontation about it right and that is not the right answer really right like once again i I, this is obviously for practical uh, clearly emergency situations etc i I know i keep having to qualify but it feels like a thing i just need to say like obviously there there are times when you can't because of like literal time constraints but there are times when you can and you just don't because it's easier not to because it's your privilege not to have to deal with it directly and that is shitty also right as residents we it, it we are also people right so it also falls on us to just say like you can say something a thing I always try to do anytime I walk into a room with another resident or attending who is female or minority, I introduce them as Dr. Blank. And I'm like, this is my boss, Dr. Blank. Because at this point, basically everyone's my boss. I'm sure at some point it'll be different when I'm more... In intern year, it's very easy. It's just like, oh, is there another person? They're probably... Yes, <laughs> but it's a, it's a thing I really try to do because inevitably otherwise, it's like I'm with like my like chief resident who is like a five two woman and then all the questions get directed to me like the like moron intern i'm like please stop this is very uncomfortable please i don't know anything please talk to her she's very smart so it is once again i think there are things you can do with your behavior to try to improve these interactions just improve life for people in general once again these are i feel like i'm saying these are really vague like banalities kind of but i mean the fact of the matter is how much can we say outside of a specific situation right every situation is going to be different and unique and there's always going to be a unique excuse as to why you don't need to say something right there's always going to be a reason like ah well they're the intern whatever they don't have to see that patient anymore i'll just take care of it but that's not good enough like avoiding the issue is not it's not enough anymore right we have to say as a society that this issue needs to be directly addressed i think if we if we make it more on a societal level what we've learned through the 90s and early 2000s is the colorblind mentality just doesn't work you can't just pretend not to see race because if you pretend not to see race you ignore the fact that the playing field is already uneven Mm -hmm. you can't just say like okay it's tuesday and today all races are equal I, I solved over. it <laughs> yeah oh obama got elected racism's over i mean people acted like that and that's not the case it just didn't it didn't happen then and you know eight years after he was elected we had a very acute lesson in the fact that racism wasn't over <laughs> god <laughs> um, there was a story of facial expressions just told that maybe wasn't translated into the podcast besides the point all that to say that we have to be actionable on a day-to-day basis. Now, Samir, I believe you started a list, and I think we got to two on that list. Or was that three? <laughs> that was three. That was three. I, I, um, okay. I, I was, that was three. I'm not sure if there was four, if there was five, um, because I think to your point, the list is it, it, it is is kind of an infinite list to an extent, right? Because each of these situations are different. But I think broadly, I, I think maybe this is my overall point which is that, and I think, I think you've stated it well, 
that justice takes work it takes action um it it, it takes resources to enact it, it won't happen just because it'll happen so there's an mlk quote uh which is uh, the arc of the moral universe is long but it bends toward justice i think it's a really nice quote and I think it's. I'm surprised you knew that off the top of your head. You know, I'm I'm very good that way. <laughs> it's like you didn't you didn't even need to take a break to. Right, right. It's 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 definitely. I definitely did not nearly misquote it. Then stop speaking, Google it, and then read it off. That would be absurd to do. As we mentioned many times, we barely edit this podcast. Well, because it's all scripted, right? Of course. Um, but I I like that quote because I think it is sometimes very reassuring and gives hope when you feel really hopeless. But I think the quote is in some ways a bit incomplete because it does it doesn't. I, I mean, I think he when he said it, obviously he wasn't just like yeah yeah it'll just bend. Well, I think with the implication that the quote is like we have to do the bending, and we may not see the results of our actions for years, for decades, even within our lifetimes, but you have to do your part to bend it. Like I won't just bend. You gotta, you gotta, gotta bend it. Right. Even if it's a little bit, just bend it a little. It's a lot of little bends. That's a big bend. I mean, Martin Luther King has come up a lot yeah. in the last few weeks, obviously. I think a real takeaway lesson is to remember that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Right. Like, yeah. the moral arc of even his life, he didn't live a, mm -hmm. a long, happy life where he got to see the fruit of his labors. Like, they hated him in his time, and they killed him for it. And, and the long arc of his life is that now we look back on him and we talk about all the good he's done. Mm -hmm. But his work didn't end when he died, and it still hasn't ended today. Yeah. You know, there's, there's still actionable things that we need to do as a society to live in a more just world where the circumstances of your birth do not then define the entire arc of your life. And yes, have I throughout multiple parts of this podcast just restated various Martin Luther King quotes in sort of different words? Yes, of course. But the fact of the matter is he said a lot of very intelligent things and he did, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm if I'm just playing word jumbles with Martin Luther King's words, I feel like I'm doing it okay. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, that's a pretty good day. Pretty good day. Yeah. So I think any podcast in which we're like, yeah, we yeah, we got it for this topic would be a little disingenuous. I hope No, that would be the most racist thing we could right. do. I hope if we said like, oh, we solved just that. Right. I hope we at the end of this, I, I hope there's at least something meaningful that we can broadly say from all this. I think we've tried to restate it a number of different times, trying to summarize it. Um, and I think fundamentally it is a really complex topic that doesn't just take one or two or three discussions, but is an evolving conversation over years. But I think it's just one that you need to keep having. If I want to bring it home somewhere inspirational, it, we talked a lot about like how your voice matters and how you have to make actionable changes. The, the takeaway point, though, is that you can make actionable changes and your voice does matter. Like there are things you can do. Even as a resident, even when you're busier than you've ever been, like you can be actionable in your day-to-day -day life to make the world we live in more just. It's, you know, if you want to protest, if you feel safe protesting, do it, obviously. But if you don't feel safe protesting, if you're, I mean, I've seen a lot of horror stories from the protest, yeah. right? If you're not willing to go risk your eyesight. Yeah, that's... The, to protest yeah, right yeah yeah i mean if you have half a million dollars in medical school debt and you lose an eye that's not a great way to deal with that right, right? and you can make an argument that maybe you're better served not taking that risk and then just becoming a, a full-fledged doctor who you know uh, is able to provide medical care in a more just way right right it might not feel like it right now while you're in residency but you have power now, and you'll have even more power as the years go by. And obviously right now, when you feel so vulnerable and you feel like you can't change things, you maybe won't always speak up. 
but it's important to remember that one day that won't be this, the case. One day you will be a full-fledged attending. You'll be at some academic institution and you'll have the opportunity to make a change. And maybe it won't be your problem anymore. Maybe you'll have classed out of that. You're an attending now and it's not your problem and you don't even have to think about it because you don't deal with it on a day-to-day basis. And it's just remember back to right now remember back to this moment, remember back to what's going on right now and know that you can make a difference even when there's not a protest going on. And I think there's uh, as good a place as any at uh, to end our discussion. You know, um, we don't necessarily always have the power now, but eventually we will. And it's important to use it when we have it. Thank you guys for listening. As always, our theme song is Nothing Slash Anything by Westy Reflector. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at MWS Podcast. We are also on iTunes and several other podcasting apps. I'll mention as well that if you have a podcasting app that you like to uh, listen to podcasts on and uh, we are not on it, please send an email to mandatorywellnesssession at gmail.com and we can add our RSS feed to that app. Thanks for listening. Bye.